guys. Hello. Welcome to the Florida Woman podcast. That's Nathan Simpson. I'm Nathan Simpson. Yeah, that's what I said. And you are? Kelsey Ann Wacker. You could have done me the honor of saying my name. Well, I'm sitting... As I did yours. Well, but I'm sitting in the bigger chair. That's true. Um, We're going to Albany, New York today. We are. We're going on a little jaunt. Yeah, I... We're getting married. I don't know if you heard that, but I'm doing my little hair trial with my the lady that I think I might hire to do the hair on the wedding we'll day. See. We'll see what she, <laughs> we'll see what does, she does comes up with. That bitch better um, make my hair look beautiful. <laughs> um, and I was just thinking, is can is I Albany... get on that? Can I do a trial on my hair too? <laughs> what would you want done to your hair? A little braid, like in midsummer, like right around the top of my head. Uh, requires extensions. I'm down for extensions. All right, we'll have to match your hair up. Extend me, daddy. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I was just thinking that Albany, New York might be the anti-Florida. Is that the least Florida place you can think of? Albany, New York? Albany, New York. It's industrial. It's northern. It's I feel like there are a lot of drugs from... done in Albany. So I can't mm. say that it's exactly the opposite. Okay. Maybe like Salt Lake City. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's very straight and narrow. Maybe the campus of Brigham Young University. Okay. I'm with you on that. Nobody's fucking. Nobody's True. doing drugs. It's very dry. Very dry. Everyone's just Everyone's as tan. white as hell. No, but they're tan. It's the okay. sun. Well, Everyone has true. a good that's dose true. of vitamin D. So if we were to excavate Brigham Young University and transplant it into... North Dakota. North or Dakota. the ugly one, South Dakota, the one without the badlands. Oh shit! Yeah, that's North Dakota. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's just, there's just nothing there. Yeah, just put it just put it in North Dakota. Something like that. Well, Mormonism was founded in upstate New York. <laughs> there you go. It is a dreary, dreary place. Yeah, it is. So like Joseph Smith's original like harem of ladies, that might be, that might be the anti-Florida. I think that's right. Florida place. Um, you know, a lot of cults started in upstate New York. Yeah bunch of them i do like almost all there's just nothing to do up there, yeah man. um you gotta like explain <laughs> it gets it gets real dark there in the winter time you gotta like explain that away yeah somehow. come up with stories and like collect women to co- oh you know, yeah keep you warm at night absolutely yeah absolutely all right well i'm gonna go right into it because this is this is a, a big episode we have here this is a deep dive uh-huh so I'm going to tell you the story of the Scam Sultan of Miami Beach. The Scam Sultan of Miami Beach. With the amount of fucking scams going on in Miami, like to be the, the, the Sultan, Sultan of, of scams. scams. Yes. Um, That's a big deal. Alternate title, One Man's Spectacular 30-Year Odyssey as a Counterfeit Saudi Prince. He spent 30 years pretending to be a Saudi Prince? Yes. Ooh, let's get For into this. For 30 years, this man... Anthony Gignac. What? Played the part of Khalid bin Al Saud. What? A royal prince of the of Saudi Arabia and a member of the very powerful, very wealthy Al Saud family worth 1.2 trillion in Aramco oil. Holy shit. So Anthony's brother, Daniel, remembers this about their time growing up. And what's his real name? Anthony Ga- well, Anthony it's Gignac I'm it's reading not, here. It's not his real name. That's either. not his real name either. Yeah, you're getting ahead. Oh, damn. All right. So Anthony Gignac's um, brother, Daniel, mm-hmm. remembers it like this. He says, growing up in Lansing, Michigan, 
they both loved Matchbox cars, right? Lansing, Michigan. And when their parents would take them to the store to buy toys and cars and things like that, you know, Anthony would always pick out a Rolls Royce. And he remembers sitting on the living room floor and playing with his bus and his fire truck. And his brother would get down on the floor and, and play with him too. But he'd bring out his Rolls Royce and his Bentley. And when his brother was, you know, playing with his police car. I think that should be added to the dark triad, by the way. Like, you yes. know, those like the collection of behaviors that serial killers display when they're kids, mm-hmm. like wetting the bed. Fire setting. Setting fires and, and killing animals. Yeah, torturing animals. Choosing a Rolls Royce as your favorite toy. When that you're should like be added five to the years list, old. 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when his brother would play with his police car, mm-hmm. Anthony would even tell him to drive his police car in front of the Rolls Royce to be oh his escort. Oh my God, this is fucked up. Daniel says, quote, he knew what a Mercedes Benz was. He knew what a Rolls Royce was. My mom had no idea what that stuff was. I had no idea what that was, but he knew what that was. And those were the only toys he would play with. Holy fucking shit. So let's meet the man who conned over an estimated $8 million. That's a lot of money. A man going by the name Khalid bin al Saloud. <laughs> Jesus. So from 1993 to 2017, he weaved in and out of Miami high society in an entourage of, you guessed it, Rolls Royces, Ferraris, sporting diplomatic license plates and that security detail he play acted on the carpet with toys he had diplomatic license plates uh-huh. oh man that's um, a that's a big crime yep he yep. he'll get it for that oh yep. shit okay so you know he enacted that same escort thing that yeah. he played with his brother on the carpet in Only michigan for real um armed bodyguards uniformed mm-hmm. staff attending to his every fancy he traveled nearly constantly on yachts and private jets. A windswept salt and pepper British national acted wow. as his personal CEO, oh keeping his business affairs in order, which left him to lead you a made life. That guy sound hot, by the way. Yeah, you know yeah. he's not unhot, um, but yeah. I did do him a great service in that description. <laughs> also, never get on a private jet. That's we should start collecting rules of the Florida Woman podcast. That's that's one of them. Don't ever get on a fucking private jet or a chartered plane. They crash more than any other aircraft. I've I totally agree with you. I've yeah. I've stated this as a rule in my personal Commercial life. I'm only. never flying private. Fuck I don't no. care how even when rich we get and to famous the very, I get. Yeah, when we get you to the can't very catch me on of private. society, no fucking way. No way. Commercial all the way. Yeah. Um cuz I value my life. That's God. right. That left him to lead a life of dumbfounding indulgence and excess. Sounds like it. If you were around Khalid long enough in person, you'd probably catch a snippet of his phone conversations with the likes of Bill Gates, Bill Clinton, uh-huh. um, Barack Obama. Everyone who's on the Lolita Express. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, he frequently lamented that he was, quote, sick and tired of Trump calling me and inviting me to the White House. <laughs> Holy shit. Never on the Lolita Express that Trump, but did go to many parties. Oh, Trump was on the Lolita Express, wasn't he? Are you he? sure? Yeah, I think he was in the Black Books. Oh, yeah, he he hung out with Epstein all the time. I know he hung out with Epstein. I don't think he was ever on the never Lolita the Express. Island. I mean, I, to, I have to look this up. Yeah, we need to do more uh, Epstein stuff. I was so wrong. Trump did fly on the Lolita Express. My oh, bad. Yeah. Fuck My bad. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, he was bouncing 16-year-olds on his knee <laughs> like Santa Claus. <laughs> it's also so funny that this guy's name is Khaled and he was doing all this in Miami because every time you DJ say that... DJ Khaled! Exactly! Yeah. I can't stop thinking about it. This is the guy that DJ Khaled thinks that he is. Certainly. Most certainly. <laughs> Another one. Besides all of the, you know, foreign leaders and, mm-hmm. you know, national leaders and stuff like that that uh-huh. he would talk to on the phone... Um, you'd sometimes even get to glance over his shoulder to see his father, the Saudi king, on FaceTime. No shit. Which is super cool. Um, you know, and he certainly he certainly looked the part of royalty, right? Like he lived in a penthouse condo um, mm-hmm. of the luxury high rise that exists on Fisher Island. He claimed okay. to own the whole building, but Fisher <laughs> Island is an exclusive island neighborhood off the coast of Miami. Mm-hmm. And I found out that it actually claims the richest zip code in the U.S. No shit. That's yes. not in New York? Goodness. I know. Wow. Okay. So I actually have... Okay. It goes Fisher Island in Miami, mm-hmm. Palo Alto. This is for mm-hmm. 2022, mm-hmm. by the way. It changes every year. Right. Fisher Island, Palo Alto, followed by another Florida zip code in Palm Beach, which was like Epstein, Makes Maxwell, sense. Trump. Makes sense. Yeah. Um... Followed by Century City in LA. Century City, okay. And then followed by Purchase New York, which is like Westchester. Yeah, that's right. Rye, that's right. Fucking all a. of those places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Oprah Winfrey uh, has a place on Fisher Island, Andre Agassi. Um, but it's so funny because like that, those are the like Julia Roberts. Like those are the people that you would find if you Googled Fisher Island. Uh-huh. But it's just like we, the public loves a familiar name, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like the celebrities, the movie you know, stars, the athletes. tennis players, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. the TV hosts. And as rich as Oprah is mm-hmm. with her net worth at two point six billion, yeah, I was gonna say she's got a billion. They're not valuation. even close. Oh no! To the wealthiest <laughs> members of that community. I know. I know that isn't that funny. Like the exactly like you think about like when you think about wealth and opulence and and like you know the t- very tip top of society. You think of movie stars and athletes, um, but what you really should be thinking about is like the nameless, faceless people who actually pull the levers. You know, behind the scenes of society, like yes. people whose names you've never heard of, because they love their privacy. They're yes. doing that on purpose. Yes. Um, and they keep the celebrities around them to like d- basically distract. draw the attention away. Yeah. There are, so you know those lists like the the you know fifty richest men in the world mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can pay to get your name off that list. Oh, and I'm sure they do. And I'm sure they do. And they're not even reporting their full earnings. So there are people out there that have net worths that we can't even fathom. Oh, yeah. For many reasons. But one of which being that even if their net worth ever does get reported, it's not even close to what it actually is. I think we should make friends with some of those people and just be like, hey, would you mind like, you know, I feel like a million, like two million, that'd be like a sneeze to them. Just like, hey, guys, can we have two million dollars? Like, that's nothing, right? Yeah, these guys. we just have to make some new That'd friends. change your whole life. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> make some new friends. Actually, yeah, I know that the You don't want to be friends with these people. These people are, oof, they're so, they're ice in their veins. Yeah, it's scary. It's yeah. like being in the presence of pure evil. Oh, God. I've yeah. I've catered enough luxury events to know what it feels like to be close to these people, and it's it's actually really scary. Unpleasant. Uh, very. Oh, God. Um, Oof, it makes it just makes your bones ache. It's it like does. it makes a yeah. shiver run down your spine. And that's really the, that's the kernel of truth at the middle of all the like QAnon conspiracy stuff. Definitely, the, you know Epstein conspiracy stuff. 
Like, I mean... It's general. Everyone feels it. They know that something's not right. Yeah, but like the made up shit is that they're cracking open babies right. and sucking out the adrenochrome. That's fun. You got to come up with some <laughs> yeah, sort of fairy right. tale with it, or but else the, it's the just real actually truth scary. Is that they just all these people just have ice running through their veins, and they don't give a shit about like human life at all. Like they yeah. just they just don't care. Well, and I was gonna say something about when Trump moved into Mar-a-Lago in Palm mm-hmm. Beach. Mm-hmm. It's such an exclusive neighborhood, and we've seen it's number three on the richest zip codes 2022. Right, right. They had a petition to not allow him to move in Yeah, because it would Beach. be too tacky. Yes, because it was he was, <laughs> was gauche. He was new money, basically, even though oh, his father God. was very, very wealthy. Yeah. Um, it just, it wasn't, they thought it was like, oh, Palm Beach is ruined. This is the lowest of the low. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of us normal people look at Trump like, okay, he's got like mm-hmm. fucking money, dude. All right. Anyway, all of this phantasm, fantastic, fantasia, whatever. Phantasmagorical. He uh-huh. um, detailed religiously on his Instagram account, which is Prince Dubai underscore 07. Ooh, is it still running? It is. Awesome. Um, where it seemed like he, you know, chronicled his fast life like a fucking vision board mm-hmm. that he would make when he was a kid or some yes. shit. Um, you know, there were watches, rings, bracelets, designer handbags, lavish meals. Um, there were also some pictures of Prince Al Walid bin Talal, the grandson of the first Saudi king. Yeah. He wrote a caption, Uncle. Posted underneath that photo. Fuck. Um, he has a caption that says, Birthday gifts from the fam. And it's beside a photo of two diamond-encrusted watches draped over $10,000 bundles of cash. Shit. Um, but no one graced the presence of Prince Khalid bin Al-Salud's Instagram like his darling chihuahua, Foxy, <laughs> who was always dripping in diamonds, adorned in designer oh dog clothes. God. He took him everywhere in a $2,690 Louis Vuitton dog carrier. That's just a bit, that's an even bigger waste of money than like a diamond encrusted purse. You know what I mean? Like that's just the biggest waste of fucking money you could possibly imagine. Yeah, it's fuck you money. Yeah. It's a slap in the face. Exactly. Um, And I mean, he carried this dog everywhere, like Michelin starred restaurants, clubs. (laughs) (laughs) He would feed Foxy from the table. Oh, you son of a bitch. Yeah. There's a video of him like, like feeding him pasta, like a string of spaghetti. Just imagine the whole string going into this dog's mouth. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's really It like made my butthole clench. (laughs) I hated that image. (laughs) Um, He'd take videos of himself and Foxy like in a completely empty pool, you know, Mm -hmm. at a luxury hotel in Miami because... He would often ask hotels to shut down the pool for his enjoyment as uh-huh. royals are not allowed to swim or bathe in of his course, company. Of course, of course. You can't be mixing with the, yeah. the commoners, no. So there was someone who... Uh, you know what's so brilliant about posing as a Saudi prince? What? Is that there's like a thousand Saudi princes. Exactly. There's tons of them. And and in America, we don't know their names. No, fuck no. You know, Shit. you I could mean, come I up with s- any combination of Arabic syllables and we'd be like, yeah, I, I bet that somebody in Saudi Arabia would be able to tell... Truly. I mean, this family's huge. It's huge. gigantic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a man who um, I found a quote. He remained anonymous, but I'm going to say it here. Mm-hmm. You mean the fake prince of Fisher Island? To play the role he played so well for so long, he had to believe the lie. He actually believes he is Khaled, the prince of Saudi Arabia. I was sucked into absolute mayhem. He dangled such a carrot. Even though you knew he was full of shit, the carrot was so big and there was a 2.2% chance 
that there was some truth in his asinine lies that you kept going. He was so talented and he pulled off so much shit. I don't even know where to begin. Wow. He, um, this is, this is another, like, since we're an advice podcast, this is another uh, piece of advice for you. First, never get on a chartered plane or a private jet. Mm -mm. Second, um, the bigger you lie, the more people will go along with it. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. The more. (laughs) Because it's so outrageous. It's like, who would lie about that? Yes. You know? I mean, it will probably come to bite you in the ass in the end. But, I mean, this guy lived for 30 years like he was a Saudi prince. That's a pretty so good who's fucking the, deal. So who's the Saudi prince, you know? <laughs> What's the rest of your life in jail if you could live for 30 years like a Saudi prince? Yeah. So I'm just going to quickly tell you guys who the Bin Al-Saluds are. Because I think it adds, like, this dimension of, like you said, the bigger the lie, the more you mm-hmm. can get away with it. But mm-hmm. also, like, an element of danger. Um, I was actually in a cab on the way home from the airport recently and a cab driver, I I like, you know, I got to talking with my driver and he has, he lives in um, Dubai and I was like, oh, I'm doing this story. I I run a podcast. I'm doing this story about this guy who impersonated Khalid bin al-Saloud. Wow. And he looked in the rear view mirror at me dead eyed and said, be very, very careful. Like, you have to be so careful. And I was like, what? And he's like, these are very powerful people. If he committed a crime against them and you can somehow, your name can be involved if you're saying that you're on the air, then you just need to be so careful. These people are ruthless and they could do anything to you. Holy shit. And I was like, whoa. Whoa. It's not where I expected the conversation to go. Jesus Christ. Well, he he must have thought you were talking to him yeah he thought it was like an actual journalist who is like doing interviews with him in prison we're not journalists um by the way i have a quick correction to make before we get too far into this episode it's actually he was going by the name um khalid bin al-saud which is like that the royal house of saud which is the like in charge of saudi arabia like the country's named after the house of saud so. Yeah, I got this correction in the middle of doing this episode. So my so Kelsey dad Ann did like a shit ton of research and like got all these facts totally correct, but just like didn't re- she like typed the name wrong once and then just like kept like thought. Yeah, that I, was I, it I truly then. don't know how this happened, but um, <laughs> I'll salute like salute. We're Florida is like, people, okay? That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I mean, you know, this is proof that we're not journalists. We're not. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, yeah to that guy's point, like we you know. They, they won't come after us because we're fucking dipshits. And deranged, <laughs> like apparently. Because I... And, and now it's so ingrained in my head. I'll yeah. salute. I don't know how I got I'll that. Salute, I salute watched... is funny because that's cheers in Spanish. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is one of my sources for this episode is a documentary. It's a... Mm-hmm. It's on HBO Max. It's called Generation Hustle. Mm-hmm. And this is the fake Prince of Fisher Island is one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And I... I listened to the whole episode. I think I listened to it twice. Yeah. And you got all salute? Yeah. Well. Bizarre. That is bizarre. I just think this is bizarre. But okay, we're going to roll with the punches. And I'm going to tell you about the house of El Saud. El Saud? Yeah, El Saud. I mean, I, we're speaking English, so I'd just say Saud. El Saud. Saudi okay, Arabia. Okay, so that head of the house of El Saud is the king of Saudi Arabia. Yes. Who serves as the head of state and monarch of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Yes. And the king in this case and in this country holds absolute political power. Yep. 
Um, so the House of Saud is the ruling royal family of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Saud, Saudi, Sa- Saud, Saudi so, Arabia. Saud. You know what I mean? Though? Yeah. No, I'm just saying like yeah. it's the name of the fucking country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's composed of the descendants of Mohammed bin bin Saud, mm-hmm. who founded um, the first Saudi state mm-hmm. in 1744. Right, right. And you know his, like you said, his family is. Estimated at fifteen thousand members. Yeah, so and they're all rich and they're all important. Like even if you have this name in any way, Mm -hmm. like you are something. Yeah, even if you're not like in the government or in the you know higher echelon of the the royal house, like you you have stake in some giant oil company or like you're in charge of like running the infrastructure or like you know whatever whatever. You're you're rich and powerful. Yeah, if you have the last name Al Saud. And the most rich and powerful are a group of 2,000 of them, mm-hmm. the closest to the family. Mm-hmm. Um, they estimate the royal family's wealth and net worth at $1.4 trillion. Trillion motherfucking trillion. dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they own Saudi Aramco mm-hmm. oil. That's right. And gas company. Right. So now that we've talked about the Al Sauds and who they are, yeah. who is this mysterious Khalid, Khalid bin Al Saud? A.K.A. Anthony Gignac, A.K.A. <laughs> Jose Enrique Moreno. Jose Enrique Moreno. So that's even funnier that you thought his last name was Salud. <laughs> I know. Maybe that's the way he said it or something. That I honestly don't know how this happened. That would be the easiest way to tip off <laughs> that you were faking. Well, oh, he, that's great. he pulled all of this off without speaking a lick of Arabic. Oh, fantastic! He never learned. Ooh, I can't wait to okay. hear. All right. So Jose Enrique Moreno. Jose was a Colombian orphan adopted by an American couple in Plymouth, Michigan, mm-hmm. when he was six years old. He was born in 1970 in Bogota, Colombia, mm-hmm. to unknown parents, and mm-hmm. his birth name was Jose Enrique Moreno. Mm-hmm. He lived on the streets and was one of Colombia's 13,000 throwaway children, which is Oof. like this term for basically just homeless and potentially parentless children Jeez. in the country. Yeah. Um, a lot of whom became like underling soldiers in the Colombian drug oh, war. Oh man, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and and working cartel. as drug runners. Fuck, dude. Jose remembers sniffing glue to deten- desensitize himself to the cold and hunger. Oh fuck, dude. Yeah. Oh, that's dark as, a as toddler. hell. Holy um, shit. His attorney wrote that Jose and his younger brother. Quote, were treated like rodents. Good Lord. When most children at the tender age of five were going to kindergarten, snuggling in their warm beds at night after being fed a full meal, he was in the streets of Bogota foraging foraging for food, stealing if necessary, and just looking for a dry, safe, warm place Mm -hmm. to rest his five-year-old head and somewhere to take care of his three-year-old brother. What he learned in his first few years of life was survival at any cost. Right. Survival of the fittest. Absolutely. So, Jose also presented in court under oath a story of content warning right now about um, sex crimes against children, Um, a story about childhood sexual trafficking. He says, quote, I was raped when I was five years old and sold on the streets to have sex with men in order to feed my brother. Oh, my God. You do not know the pain that I have gone through. Oh, that is fucked. There's really nothing to say about that. It's truly just the most evil thing. Yeah, um, that's the worst thing in the world. Poor kid. 
In miracle fashion, um, Jose and his brother were spotted by a local orphanage in Bogota. Mm. And on June 13th, 1977, when Jose was six and his brother was four, a middle-class couple, Jim Gignac and Nancy Fitzgerald from Plymouth, Michigan, about 30 minutes outside Detroit, right. um, adopted them. Oh. Yeah. So uh, newly homed in Michigan, their attorney wrote... Quote, the boys would stuff their cheeks with food at dinner, looking like two little chipmunks because they weren't sure they oh, would get another God, meal. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, oh, they you know, they horrible. hid food underneath their bed and just, yeah, yeah, just the whole course. thing. Obviously, these are very traumatized children. Yeah, Jesus. Who have already lived through so much. Right, and they have no idea what like a stable family household looks like. No, like no normal idea. like American middle class I mean, fuck. Yeah. yeah. So he was renamed Anthony Enrique Gignac. Um, Gignac. And he went by Tony. So Gignac, you think? Okay, they say Gignac. I'm positive of this. That's In very the documentary, Midwestern. they say Gignac. That's very Midwestern. I believe it. Yeah. That's so, like that town in Wisconsin, uh, Fond du Lac. What is it supposed to be? Fond du Lac. Oh, wow. It's like, it's like I mean, all those towns are named like by the French traders and trappers that like went up the, the Mississippi. Gignac. Would become Gignac. Gignac. Yeah, after a long enough time in Michigan. Um, so he went by Tony. Tony remarkably spoke English a year later by the time he was seven. Um, Smart kid. Like, as well as his classmates. Like, mm, mm-hmm. s- fluent, like hardly any accent. Yep, yep, I can imagine. Um, he was already becoming a master. Imitator. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, okay, all of this is my opinion, but... I'm attempting to analyze how Anthony's mind works and like trying to understand or like piece together how this starving street orphan from Bogota became this con artist, like false man of leisure mm-hmm. masquerading as Saudi royalty. Um, and then, you know, within this, there's the obvious and then there's the not so obvious. Mm-hmm. So number one, he loathed poverty and of being course, poor. Of course, obviously, he did. Yeah, that's an obvious duh. one. Yeah. Um, obviously, he was going to do whatever it took to keep himself from repeating that yeah, early situation. Yeah, getting stuck on the fucking streets again. Uh huh. Money meant safety. You know, being poor meant death. Yeah. Um. So he really like reached for the top. You yeah. Know? So I mean, that's that's true of everybody, but like, it's even more true for this guy. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like. There's hardly anyone on the planet with more obvious wealth than Saudi oil trillionaires. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. Um, and I also think, like, to understand Tony's infatuation with like immense wealth, mm-hmm. you have to understand the way wealth works in Colombia. Oh yeah, South America, Central America. There's massive inequality. Yeah. Yeah, the disparity is just vast. Yeah, the rich are extremely rich, the poor are extremely poor, and there's not much in between. And like the rich live in these huge houses that are. I mean, this is a generalization. Off. Like countries are always changing, and like you know, as a rule, um, the middle class is like hard to find in South and Central America, historically speaking. Yeah. And so definitely, when he was growing up in Colombia, nineteen seventies. Yeah, the rich were uber rich, the poor were uber poor. Yeah. And I also think it has something to do with like. Um, the walls, like if you're wealthy in a country like Colombia, oh, yeah. like your whole house is like walled off, gated yeah, off, and you have security guards mm-hmm. standing mm-hmm. in front of it. So it's like from his vantage point as a street child, mm-hmm. like the rich are untouchable, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. They're totally safe. Like mm-hmm. they're inside the walls. Um, yeah. 
And I was actually talking to my friend Sebastian, who uh, grew up in Bogota. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, like, what it's like to be poor in mm-hmm. America, as terrible as it is in, like, our country's middle classes dwindling too. fucking close. Doesn't come close to comparing Mm-mm. to what Mm-mm. poverty looks like in Colombia. Um, so number two, I think he honed his survival skills in Colombia. That's yeah. another sort of obvious one. Um, but then I'd say that his skills for imitation were honed in America. So, I mean, you have to have a great ear, right? Mm-hmm. Like even as a kid when language learning is like easier because our brains are super malleable right. and like pliable, mm-hmm. you have to like observe, pick up, repeat, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So he was thrust into a situation where he had to learn American la- uh, English language, American customs mm-hmm. very quickly in order to fit in. He was of school age, so he's going to school. So it's like this skill set of not only survival of the fittest, which he learned in Columbia, yeah. but this like observe pick up on everything and repeat it, like right, imitate right. that. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, not just with language, but with like the expressions he used and like the clothes that he wanted to wear. And like, mm-hmm. he just, he understood what it was to be an American kid and he wanted to blend in as quickly as possible. Right. And obviously those skills would help him blend in, in air quotes, blend in as a Saudi prince. Yeah. Yeah. The thing was, though, he never quite fit in. Mm-hmm. So he never fully acclimated or adjusted to life in Michigan. <laughs> That's a hard acclimation. <laughs> it's really hard. That's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, through no fault of his own. No. Um, his brother Daniel, on the other hand, mm-hmm. did. Um, like on this documentary, I mentioned Generation Hustle. You should hear his brother's accent now. I mean, it's just like, it is just a straight Michigander accent. <laughs> <laughs> Full on. Um, and he's lived there all his life and he mm-hmm. seems to have had like made a real life that he enjoys yeah. and, um, enjoys Michigan uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. whatever. Um, in, you know, when they were kids, like Plymouth was like 99% white. It was like, so like yeah, Lily white. I don't know what Plymouth is like now, but yeah, yeah. his brothers or him and his brother were like really teased, you know, and really bullied for, for being Colombian. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. Stupid kids. Um, but it seemed to bother Anthony in like a deeper way than it did his brother. It's just struck a nerve with him that yeah. his brother was able to sort of brush off. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Which leads me to surmise, and this is fucking amateur hour. I'm not right. a licensed anything. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm an armchair psychologist, but uh-huh. it just makes me think that like being Jose Enrique Moreno was obviously wrong because it was a life filled with such tragedy and hardship oh, and God, hunger yes. and uh-huh. sexual alienation. Abuse. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But being Anthony Gignac was also wrong. I mean, like, he was not married to the identity of Anthony Gignac because he didn't fit in as Anthony Gignac. Right. Um, He, you know, he wasn't starving. He was going to school. He was sleeping in a bed. But, like, it didn't keep keep him safe from social traumas and, like, being bullied and being Mm -hmm. alone and being ostracized and, like, rejected by other kids, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, um, like, the finer point about Anthony not adjusting to life in America actually was due to other factors as well. He was adopted when he was six, right? Mm -hmm. Almost seven. Mm -hmm. And experts say that your brain patterns and beliefs about the world and your caretakers get set by age seven. I believe that. That's a figure that's out there. That's Mm -hmm. been studied. So his brain was shaped in a different way than his brother's. Yeah, right. His brother had more time to develop into understanding like the safety of his middle-class American yeah, existence. Because he was adopted at four. So right. his brain wasn't set yet in terms of 
patterns and yeah, firing how things work exactly right. whereas anthony quite clearly like had spent most of his entire life getting fucking raped on the street in yeah. Colombia. yeah yeah and there was also this mental illness component and you know perhaps it could have been genetic mm-hmm. um but daniel hasn't had any mental health crises um mm-hmm. only tony has mm-hmm. so it could also just um, it could be genetic, but it could be triggered by... He just got it worse, probably. Yeah, he just yeah. got it worse, exactly. Yeah. Um, what he endured as a child and mm-hmm. having endured more years on the street, like you said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also being the older one, so being the provider of both him and his brother. Right. Um, I mean, so, that all tracks. That all makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So from early on, uh, Tony's cravings for status and wealth had a way of sort of careening off into lies Mm -hmm. and grandeur so he told his first grade classmates that his mother was so rich that she was the owner of the historic grand hotel on mackinac island wow yeah already big swings big swings Uh beautiful place i remember being absolutely enchanted by mackinac island when i went there as a kid i'd love to go oh i had I have to bring you. So magical. Um, So he also had this reoccurring lie that his biological father, Mm -hmm. a great lie for an adopted kid who's obviously adopted because they don't look like their parents, right? Right, right. Good one. Uh Smart. Smart kid. Yeah. Um, Was the actor Tom DeLuce. I'm sorry. Dom DeLuce. Dom DeLuise. Dom. (laughs) Damn. I'm having a way with names. Yeah, really. Tom DeLuce. (laughs) Tom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise. Oh my god, whatever. <laughs> well, look the guy up. Yeah. Look at his face. Yeah. So that's, that's like really weird. A and distinctly funny. on target lie, as far as I'm concerned. You think? Well, you haven't seen you haven't seen I haven't Anthony Big Mac like. yet. No, no. But like I assumed when I was looking him up that he was gonna be like he was gonna say his father was this like handsome dapper oh, I like see actor. It. I see it. No, no, but no, no he yeah. chose this like chubby, round faced, like uh-huh. kind of silly looking comedian dude to say was his biological father. That's right. And it's like, you know, Tony himself was short and chubby and had round features. Oh my gosh. This is so fun holy shit. I'm looking at pictures of this guy now, Anthony Gignac. Fuck me. <laughs> this is so funny that he pretended to be Saudi for so many years. I, now that I know that he's Colombian, I just can't see him as anything else. But that's fucking hilarious. I, I think we're getting smarter and more savvy now as a society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still think even today, like, I think to some people, like, brown people just be brown people. Sure, like, they can't, sure, like, sure, sure. he preyed on this, like, American ignorance of, like, not being able to tell apart a Middle Easterner from a from, South yeah, American. Latin American. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, oh, so, yeah, he lied about a lot of stuff, even starting super early on, like, this in his first year. This man's haircut was fucked up, dude. His haircut was really strange. He was like Edna Mode from The Incredibles. No kicks! Yeah, we'll put a picture in the oh, in the show notes. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, um, it says uh, that Tony was involved in convincing anyone at school that he had money and he had power. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, to me, that's like money and power. That's such a killer combo because if he has both those things like he'll never be alone he'll right, never totally. struggle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this brings me to his first real con so one ordinary day when tony was in sixth grade uh-huh. his mother got a call on the telephone on the landline a man on the phone told mrs gignac that um your mercedes is ready oh shit turns out little tony um had hoodwinked a dealership into believing that 
he was a Saudi prince. Wow. He's, he started doing this when he was in sixth grade. Yes. Fuck. And that his dad was going to buy him a Mercedes, and he smooth-talked the salesman into letting him do test drives at what? 12. He's 12. What the fuck? And he was like, I'll take it. And the money never came, <laughs> oh and he didn't come to collect the car. Of course. So law enforcement knocked on um, their front door after oh the Oh, my God, call. dude. How, that is... Wow. Okay. What a... What a consummate little scam artist like to to be 12 years old and to be i doubt he even knew how to drive like he just got behind the wheel and just started fucking pretending also blinded by greed. stupid do you have to be to see this short little fucking chubby 12 year old kid and say yeah sure go go ahead get behind the the wheel of this fucking mercedes-benz well, That's I think crazy. it's what you said. It, it just goes back to this constant refrain of like, the bigger the lie, the more people aren't going to question it. Yeah. Also, everyone's addicted to a crown. Like, sure. Even yeah. the he Anthony found later in his life that even the richest people that he had contact with couldn't resist uh-huh. this idea of a royal. Yeah, that's right. Even even that impressed them. They you just know? thought they they were going to get their life changed like yeah. that. Wow. So, um. You know, like I said before, he sort of preyed on the the susceptibility of like you're just your average middle class white person to not know the difference between like him and someone from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So, um, and Plymouth was almost entirely white, mm-hmm. but um, the Detroit suburbs, both then and now, have always had a really significant Middle Eastern population, mm-hmm. um, an Arabic population. So mm-hmm. I just was like. You know, that that makes sense. It tracks that he was in a Detroit suburb, mm-hmm. that he would actually run into people who may be from Saudi Arabia or mm-hmm. from other countries in that region. And swipe that identity as his own. Yeah. Um, so something else that Anthony really glommed on to, um, his brother tells us, is the TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Oh, man. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> which came on the air in um, 1984. Mm-hmm. And... It became an obsession of his. Right. And I, I think this is where he starts to get like a better idea of who wealthy people are, what they buy, yeah. Yeah. how they talk, how they act, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it's truly astounding to me that he even had a handle on it before then. Like he had yeah. enough of a handle on it to be coming up with all these lies and to be scamming Mercedes salespeople. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so crazy. So um, Anthony also had. I mean, it's it's a great. I mean, like it's just a TV show about these fucking rich airheads and how. Well, it's. I mean, it's great. It's just like a like an instructional guide. It's a TV show about these fucking rich airheads and the dumb shit they do all day long. <laughs> so it's perfect. It's like Frank Abagnale Jr. watching like TV shows about how to be a lawyer, yes. you know, and then passing the bar exam. This is exactly the same thing. Catch me if you can was Anthony Gignac's. Favorite movie. Of course it was. Oh, that's yep. beautiful. That's brilliant. Um, I often think about that exact thing. Like you said, instruction manual. Mm-hmm. When it comes to people committing crimes, I'm like, if you're going to be committing a crime, you better be watching 48 Hours Mystery. Yeah, you, better you better be, better be watching be Cops. How. You better be watching these documentaries about people who get murdered. That's Learn true. what not to do. Learn what to do. Exactly. I was just flying abroad and then when I got home my mom made me watch To Catch a Smuggler which Uh is uh I think it's on like A&E or something and I was like dude if I was trying to smuggle drugs yeah you should be watching that show I would be watching To Catch a Smuggler 24-7 which is that's funny because like 
then you start to realize, oh shit, the like <laughs> the most dangerous people I know are like the retirees who just sit around watching the ID network all day long. Like yes. they all know how to commit the perfect crime. Wow. They all know exactly what to do once they've killed you. Our elderly population is so spooky. Don't fuck with them. Yeah, that's with exactly. Them. Um, your mom, your mom's a powerful person. Oh, yeah. She knows all She knows My all mom the could bury a body. Oh, yeah. Fucking Don't it. use this against her in court. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there will be no court because there's no crime. Um, so exactly. That's Anthony um, had a lifelong struggle with his mental health. Um, for many reasons, and it began when he was very young. So yes, by age 12, his parents um, put him in therapy to try to alleviate some of the symptoms. Great idea. Um, Good parents. He would have tantrums that would last mm-hmm. for hours where he would, like, pull his hair out and, like, strike himself. I mean, and, yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Uh, Lisa Whitehead, a clinical therapist who knew Tony when he was young, recalls his parents being very engaged in trying to get Tony help and... Mm-hmm. Um, besides regular talk therapy, they also sent him to a, a camp, like a overnight, um, like fix my kid camp, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he told everyone that he had great wealth and importance of and like not. wouldn't stop the lies. <laughs> um, That's great. And things really took a turn for the worse when uh, Tony and Daniel's parents got a divorce. Ooh, yeah. shit. So his mother, Nancy Fitzgerald, um, mm-hmm. later went on to be a lesbian. So perhaps that was part of the reason for the divorce. Good on you, Nance. In any case, um, his brother Daniel went to go live with his dad, Jim Gignac, in Mm -hmm. Lansing. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear if that was Daniel's choice or if it was Mm court-ordered or what kind of arrangement it was. And it's sort of unclear whether Anthony was given the same choices. Mm. But Tony stayed with his mother in Plymouth. Oh, so the brothers got split up. The brothers got split up. Oh, that's sad. separation really hit him hard. Oh, God, I can imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. At his criminal trial, Gignac testified, quote, The one person who meant anything to me, my brother, who I took under my wings, was taken from me. And afterward, he suffered a very severe mental episode. Mm. Um, the paramedics had to come a lot to the house to restrain him from himself and from <sighs> others. Um, and on one such occasion, they were unable to calm him down. So he was taken to a hospital where they prescribed him some medication. And I mean, the medication actually really helped. That's great. But in the long term, his mother, Nancy, was unable to afford the medication. Dude. And that being the case... That is so fucked. His doctors um, kind of suggested that he spend some time at a psychiatric hospital. This fucking country sucks This country's terrible. Dude. You should not be able to, you should not have to make that decision about whether or not your kid should be on his medication because you can't afford it. Your fucking 12 year old can't stop like physically harming himself and the thing that helps like costs a shit ton of money and you can't afford it. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's psychotic. Yeah, this country fucking sucks sometimes. Um, so it ended up not being the type of facility you would ever want to send a loved one, this Mm -hmm. psychiatric hospital she sent him to, Mm -hmm. um, Happened to me. Chicago Lakeshore vibes yes. is what I'm getting here. Yes. So that's a story for another time. But, um, that's a good story. Fuck Chicago Lakeshore Hospital. Yeah. yeah. So after that, he would sort of bounce from one psych facility to the next. And Yeesh. he was really in the system at that point. Yeah, and he was like sort a, of treated like a prisoner. Yeah, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Kind Definitely. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, they even at one point sent him to live at a halfway house. And he was a ward of the state. During Fuck, that time. dude. Yeah. Let him go back to his mom. No. Jeez. But he did run away at age 17. And Good. 
he didn't go back home. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of complicated relationship he had with his parents. um, Can't speak for how they parented him. I mean, they seem like they were trying. Yeah, Yeah, they do seem like like they were were trying. You never know, though. But anyway, he ran away. And again, his attorney wrote, Mm -hmm. he was alone on the streets and felt that his mother had abandoned him. So, right, yeah. once again, this kid is literally on the streets. Yeah, dude. Where he started, where Oof. he never wanted to end up again. Ooh, this is fucking tough. So, that brings me to his second con. Tony does what any severely traumatized kid would do and avoids repeating life on the street at any cost. Mm-hmm. He meets an Arab family mm-hmm. in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I have a lot of family there. In Ypsilanti? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, somehow convinces them that he is a prince and threatens them with his father's secret police if wow. they don't allow him to stay at their home. Again, that's a crazy lie. That's insane. Yeah, it's swinging for the rafters. Yeah. Um, that same year, he's swinging actually apprehended. Is that not a thing? I love it. You do this sometimes. You mix metaphors. I know. but what? <laughs> so what are the two metaphors that I mix? You swing for the fences. Oh. Because you're playing baseball. What's the rafters saying? Um, I'm not sure what the rafters saying. Oh. See, I imagined that you were in like a barn and you were swinging a baseball. You're hitting the ball, and you but you were swinging for the rafters <laughs> up. You know, you wanted to hit the rafters at the top of the I barn. I think you might be swinging from the rafters. Oh. That's <laughs> probably it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, that's funny. Well, that's now I shit. know. Good shit. Learn something every day. Um. He was also apprehended by law enforcement for claiming to be Prince Adnan Khashoggi. Khashoggi? Again, I'm probably saying that wrong. Whoa. Not a surprise to anyone. Um, who was like a notorious Saudi arms dealer and was, at the time, the richest man in the world. Damn. So do you remember Lisa Whitehead? Yeah, I remember um, Lisa Whitehead. Tony's mental health counselor uh-huh. when he was younger. Uh-huh. Well, Lisa Whitehead... And Tony's mother, Nancy Fitzgerald, fall in love. Oh, my goodness. And commit their lives to one another. So that's that's super cute. That's super cute. Apparently, he wasn't involved. <laughs> he wasn't invited. Yeah, I guess not. Oh, I don't know what's going on. Poor kid. Um, and Lisa remembers that at this time, quote, he was attracted to Hollywood because of all the glamour and wealth. Oh, yeah. No yeah, shit. Yeah, no kidding. Uh-huh. So he goes to Los Angeles, California. And it is there that Tony meets... A prince. A real prince? Yes. Wow. Well, real or imagined, it can't be confirmed. Okay. But this is the story. And what happens next is regardless a pivot point in Tony's life. Uh It dramatically alters the course of his life. So he says... Mm -hmm. I had a sexual relationship with certain members of the Saudi royal family since I was oh, 17. Shit. Allegedly. Allegedly. This is one of the most powerful families in the world. Wow. They are secretive. Yeah. There is no information about these people on the internet. So he alleges that since homosexuality is a punishable crime in mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. yeah, that he essentially <laughs> blackmailed this gay prince in question into supporting him for the rest of his life. Wow. Quote, you are killed, executed, pushed off a high mountain, which is what they do to homosexuals. Wow. Holy shit. Okay, allegedly. Allegedly. Well, yeah. And the Saudi royal family obviously has has issued formal statements Uh uh denying this narrative and denying having any involvement with Anthony Gignac. Yeah. So who knows? That might be an exaggeration or a lie, but like 
obviously he meant somebody and something happened. Yeah. And yeah. And it set something off in him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his family believes the story. Yeah. So like they'd go to bail him out of jail. Like he'd get arrested for some like petty theft or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he would have like the prince's credit cards. Holy shit. And he would always have his bills paid even when he was locked up and things like that. Wow. So they were quite worried about his safety at this time. Yeah, of um, course. But they kind of believed him that someone was paying him to keep quiet about what happened yeah. sexually. He was somebody's sugar baby. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm going to give you like a very quick rundown on his crimes in this era. <laughs> Go right ahead. He ran a 3,488 bill at the Regent Beverly Wiltshire Hotel during Holy a four-day binge in July. Four days? Yeah. God damn. Remind me to talk about Tony's habits around food Oh, later. yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with $7,500 in limousine bills. Limousine bills. Limousines make no sense to me. Oh, no. He did the same thing at the Ritz-Carlton in San Francisco, only this time he demanded the staff refer to him as your highness. Nice. Yeah. Cool. He was 21. Uh-huh. Um, and it was also at this particular hotel that he checked in under... Khaled al-Sad? Yes. Wow. For the first time, that's where this started. Right. So he served... 53 day- days in jail for this, but he skipped town upon his release and like skipped out on his probation. And he flew to Hawaii where he altered this strategy a little bit. Um, uh-huh. Instead of making the hotels, like instead of racking up bills at a hotel and then just dipping, mm-hmm. he convinced a unsuspecting couple of this like wild story where he was like, being like followed and he, there was like a murder for hire for oh hire God. and like he was fearing for his life and they paid his twenty thousand dollar resort tab at halakulani hotel in, in honolulu? honolulu holy shit dude yeah so now it's 1993 wow, wow this kid I mean, this kid's fucking good he just finds a random couple who's willing to drop 20 grand on him i mean obviously they he um, he must have assured them that he was going to pay them back and then just he did, dipset. And but, he didn't. Holy yeah. fuck. Yeah. It's obvious that he could he could talk anyone into anything. He's obviously <laughs> That's got quite this clear. gift. Yeah, it's quite clear. So it's 1993. Uh-huh. Tony's 23. Uh-huh. And where do you think he goes? Back uh, to LA? No, no, no. Okay. Where's he going? San Francisco? No, no. Okay. Ypsilanti? No. Maybe? No. no. Okay. Tony goes to Florida. Yeah, baby. Where a con man can really flex. Oh, yes. Fuck yeah. Tony checks into the Walt Disney World Grand Floridian Beach Resort in Orlando. Dude, of course he does. If you have a history of mental illness and you cannot stop committing financial crimes, you always wind up in Florida, baby. Every single fucking time. It calls. They hear this this dog whistle and they just can't they resist. They can't resist. Um, so he racks up a $14,000 bill there. Holy shit. He racks up $27,000 at the Grand Bay Resort in Coconut Grove, Miami, and $51,000 at Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh my God. I don't even know how you rack up $14,000 at At a a fucking hotel. hotel. I know. Or $50,000 at Saks Fifth Avenue. Like, what are you buying? I don't even know how to, like, buy that many things. I fucking know. I wouldn't know what to do. Um... It, we have a quote here from Don Pinaro, mm-hmm. a Miami realtor okay. that knew um, 
Tony at this time, mm-hmm. quote, every single building you'd drive by, he'd say, oh, my father owns that. Whoa. Um, he'd just spend, 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 dumping out cash from Louis Vuitton, duffel bags, and tipping $100 bills to everyone, building managers, employees, handymen. He acted like he wanted privacy, but he wanted everybody talking about him. I live in a city of bullshit, <laughs> and th- this guy's bullshit was through the roof. Wow. That's what I said at the beginning. Yeah, to, in a city like Miami, to be the sultan of scam, like you gotta be, you gotta be outperforming. <laughs> Where is On he getting grind. the cash for the duffel bags? Like, we don't know. His right mysterious now. benefactor. We don't know. Wow. Could be. Um, so after these crimes, he evades capture and he escapes to Chicago, but okay. he's apprehended and sent back to Florida, okay. where he's sentenced for two years in a Miami jail. Isn't that amazing? Like you can just. You can just like flee, defraud people out of tens of thousands of dollars and just run away. And what do you get? You get two years. I know. It's really nothing. It's fucking nothing. Um, so it's from jail that Tony, now legally, legally, Khalid bin Al Saud. Holy shit. He changed his name legally to, <laughs> to Al Saud? Yes. Holy shit. He gets a Miami attorney, Oscar mm-hmm. Rodriguez, mm-hmm. to represent him and to loan him $46,000 bail. Wow. To be paid back, of course, by of his course, king father yeah, 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 yeah. from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. But the money doesn't come. Go figure. Uh-huh. Um, so Oscar says, like, sorry, kid, got to put you back in jail. Wow. But it's then, uh-huh. literally in the car, on his way back to jail, that Tony gets a very bright idea. They pass an American Express office. I love that office. you're just in the car on the way to jail. <laughs> it's not like a police car and you're in handcuffs. They're no, just it was like, a oh, limo. Well, got to, you know. <laughs> yeah. With, with two bondsmen. Turn it around. So you got to bring him back to jail. Yep. Wow. So he says, hey, hey, there's an American Express office right there. Okay. Can you guys just stop? Can we just stop quickly and I'm just going to go in there? Uh-huh. And they do. He walks into the office in tears saying Great. he's been robbed okay. and he needs a replacement card ASAP. Okay. And he tells them who he is, which legally is who he is at this point. Right, right, right. They agree mm-hmm. if... He can recite his last two credit purchases from memory, which he does. (laughs) He verifies the last two purchases of the real Prince Khalid bin al-Saud. No shit. One is in California and one is in France. And he got them both right. That is so weird. So he is actually tracking the movements and like purchases of the real member of the House of Saud. Holy shit, dude. So they give him a credit card in Khalid's name, and it has a $200 million credit limit. Oh my God. What the fuck? And then he does this crazy thing where he gets his bondsman to drive him to Rolex. Uh huh. He buys two Rollies. Okay. For twenty two thousand. I wonder if you had a if you had a two like two hundred million dollar credit limit, would you even notice if somebody like swiped for twenty two thousand? Honestly, probably not. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he buys the two rollies and then he mm-hmm. buys out an entire Delta flight. Oh my god. Okay. Every seat because supposedly a prince can't be on a plane with anyone else. Uh huh. He gets it to fly to Michigan. I mean, this is just insanity. Just this follow me here. This is a great way to get put to death, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, flies to Michigan to speak with a university that mm-hmm. remains nameless. You mm-hmm. can't figure out which one. Yeah. Um, about giving them a $1 million donation. Okay. Then he flies to New York. Right. 
where he books an entire floor at the Four Seasons in wow. Manhattan. Wow. And it's then that his attorney, Oscar, and the bondsman get a call from Amex uh-huh. saying, no, actually, he's not the prince. He's, <laughs> not, he's not actually a prince, actually. Uh-oh, um, we, we just up. found out. I'm so sorry. Um, so he gets beat up by his bondsman. Okay, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> physically assaulted and taken to LaGuardia to be put on a plane to Miami to get the fuck back to jail, which yep. is where he fucking should have been. I love at the airport that. at LaGuardia, Tony breaks free and runs to a gaggle of airport police yelling, oh, shit. I'm Prince Khalid bin Al-Sad. I've been kidnapped. Whoa. Pointing to his bondsmen, he's like, these, these men, men have, have guns. Holy shit. Then the bondsmen have fucking guns up to their heads. Of obviously. course they do. Yeah. Like no. security and police at swarm LaGuardia out particularly. of nowhere. Yeah, of course. Yes. You can't fuck around in an airport like that. God no, damn. No. Wow. So it's a whole public fiasco. But after showing the cops their paperwork, they're cleared and they just they decide to just fucking drive the motherfucker to Miami, <laughs> yeah, okay? Yeah, he might You're as well. Not gonna pull any other, you know. Can we put this guy in handcuffs too, by the way? I like know, how what does he the keep fuck? getting out? Yeah. I don't know. Um on the drive he tells them. It's because them, in America they don't do that to fight to people who commit financial crimes. They only do so that to true. like people who sell weed. That you is know so I mean? true. Yeah. Man, this country's backwards. No shit. So on the way to Miami, he tells them his whole life story. The most interesting tidbit to me mm-hmm. being that, you know, those two rollies that he bought back in Miami. Yeah. They were a gift for his two inside people at American Express. Oh. Who had given him the answers to those security questions. Of course. Of course. He had some men on the inside. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this type of behavior just continues to escalate. He continues to defraud universities. So that was like the scam was that he would contact a university, tell them, you know, that he was Saudi royalty, Uh that he wanted to donate X amount of money to Uh the university. But could they please kindly wire him, um, like the $15,000 like tax write off or whatever to his like address in Manhattan like and he's also wiring them the million dollars but obviously he's not doing that so he would get like tens of thousands of dollars from universities as like his tax portion or something and that was actually working that's crazy that's exactly the same scam as the like nigerian prince you know what i mean but fuck so he lands in jail a few more times oldest trick in the book yeah, it is. Did you know that the Nigerian prince scam was started by a 16-year-old in the Bronx? I did know yes. that. Yes, I did know that. And Amazing. it was like a mail scam at it first. It was, yeah, yeah. It was like a newspaper ad Holy he shit. took out. Um, so, like I said, he's like in and out of jail. Mm-hmm. But one time, he lands O.J. Simpson's lawyer, Johnny Cochran. What? This guy's working with Johnny Cochran? Yes, Fuck to bail it. him out. Um, in the early 2000s, Gignac returned to his mother's home in Michigan. So mm-hmm. he left Florida. Mm-hmm. And her wife, Lisa, remembers, mm-hmm. quote, we took him out to dinner at the only restaurant we had here in Eaton Rapids, full <laughs> okay. of rednecks and their families. Right. Uh-huh. And he comes in wearing a fur coat. <laughs> of course. And driving a white. <laughs> like in Goodfellas. What did I tell you? You don't buy anything, you hear me? Don't buy anything. What's that? 
And he had all this gold hanging around his neck and silk shirts. And he was also known for his acrylic nails. He loved to have acrylic nails. Right, right. Um, and she recalls that he was, quote, very flamboyant and feminine and everybody look at me type of guy. Of course. Which of course doesn't blend in in Eaton Rapids. Yeah, obviously okay. not. Um, so, the only restaurant in Eaton Rapids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In Michigan, he'd go on shopping sprees announcing that he was a prince and he'd mm-hmm. actually get shit for free, including yeah. cars. He got two cars for free. Dude, I believe that 100%. Yeah. And he hired Lisa's daughter, Jessica, to be his personal assistant. Mm-hmm. And she noticed that sometimes, though, uh, he'd claim that the bills were being taken care of by his royal boo. Mm. So that story that mm-hmm. I told you a few minutes ago mm-hmm. about potentially being a kept man, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which she didn't know what to make of until one day she found wads of cash, jewelry wrapped in rags, and Western Union wire transfer documents for $10,000 each wow. under the bed, and they were from Saudi Arabia. Wow. So no one really knows. Nobody knows. What's going on? Interesting. But blah, blah, blah. He so committed money was a lot more fraud. It was yeah. coming from somewhere. Um, he had to, you know, violate his probation again and get back down to the sunshine state. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, a of course, paradise yes. for outlaws. Yes. He can't stay away. Uh, he can't stay away. Magnetized. So this time, though, prosecutors had evidence against him. What so, do they call that? La pelle de vide? It's the call of the void. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's that feeling you get when you're, like, standing on the edge of a cliff and, like, a little voice in your brain goes, like, jump, 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 jump. Yes. Oh, my God. Con men, the they worst. get that. They, you have to go to Florida. Go to Florida. Go to Get to Florida right now. <laughs> um, okay. So he, so this time the FBI is sort of. Get, waiting for him. Yeah, waiting for <laughs> yeah. him. Uh-huh. And they seize him and they seize this big black binder that he has mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. containing like pages and pages and pages of notarized correspondence, official uh-huh. documents, quote, official. Right, right. Legal notices, letters, petitions for wire transfers, blah, 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 that served as Tony's proof. Right, right. Um, These were forgeries, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. And they had like these really official looking seals and stamps and he even had some shit that was like said like redacted and like privileged and like <laughs> was Christ. flagged like legal like attorney client privilege. Whatever. Right, right, right. Um, And this was his supposed uh, receipts for his interactions with the Saudi royals. Right, uh-huh. Yeah. So this was like the crown jewel probably of his achievements like this binder that he worked so hard on like you know very a lot of attention to detail so anyway he would use this as evidence of his royal identity when they when like certain people would would raise yeah yeah, check Uh him or raise red flags and just like ask him any questions wow dude um so the fbi seized that (laughs) whoops but (laughs) he was now ready to step up his game it's amazing that they just seize that and then let him, let him go. Like what? Again, like the financial criminals are not punished. Like they collected like a gigantic binder of evidence that he was defrauding people and that he he himself was a fraud. They like forged passports and stuff. That's yeah. a fucking huge federal crime. And then they were like, ah, well, you know, we, we got your binder. So off you go to, to just continue scamming people. Yeah, That's this amazing. is the theme of the episode. That's crazy. Financial crimes are not punished. Yeah, again, advice podcast. Advice. If you want to get away with a crime, make sure that it's a financial crime. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> he's ready to like play ball a little bigger, okay? Oh, shit. He's ready okay. to sort of step it up. All right. Um. So he sets his sights on conning 
famous Miami billionaire Jeffrey Soffer. Okay. Into not just staying at swanky hotels, uh-huh. and he, he that's his racket, right? Right. But into buying the swanky hotels. Particularly, his, he had his eye on the Fountain Blue Hotel, which is like an iconic hotel in Yeah, Miami. right, right. It's like a historic... Like, yes. So You have to have massive wealth to even think about buying something like that. Absolutely. Right. But he knows that if he's really going to up his game and try to get into the circles and into the pockets of some someone like Jeffrey Sofer, right. um, he has to fill a few gaps in his resume, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. um, you know, he obviously could talk anyone into anything, Yeah. Clearly. but he did not have any legitimate connections to the rich and powerful. Well, yeah, and his binder got taken. And his binder got taken. So, like, he could fake his way into any room, but he didn't have actual access to people in these really elite Right, circles. he didn't have anyone, like, influential who, if he called, they would pick up. Exactly. Right. So he goes and gets himself one of these. Who? Carl Martin Williamson. Okay. A 51-year-old international financier. All right. From the UK. Oh, this is the salt and pepper, the mm -hmm. silver fox you were talking about. Yes. He gave Tony, you know, that little sheen of legitimacy, right? I mean, Uh this guy was like, you know, he was good looking. He was squeaky clean. He was well-dressed. He was... And a legitimate financier. He was a legitimate financier with a lot of international business connections and a British accent. It's very convincing. It helps a lot. Go very far. So sans contract and sans salary. The right British accent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You can't sound like a fucking chimney sweep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Williamson set up an investment company for the prince, right? Uh-huh. One that would be available only to this like ultra slim selection of very privileged few. Mm-hmm. And it was called Martin Williamson International LLC. Wow. Williamson also then began to back up Tony's tall tales. Um, he would tell like inquiring acquaintances that he and his family had known him for 20 years. Right, and, right. Um, he even purchased the diplomatic license plates uh-huh. for the Prince's Ferrari oh, and Rolls Royce on guy. eBay. On eBay? Oh my God. You can buy diplomatic license plates on eBay? I guess you used to. Holy fucking shit. So remember I was going to tell you that we were going to circle back to um anthony's obsession with food yeah yeah uh-huh okay well he went out to eat all the time in these like fancy places well, obviously, yeah that he i mean was saying right you can't i mean i can't imagine another way that you could rack up twenty seven thousand dollars at a hotel you know yeah yeah um i mean just like looking at his instagram which i did briefly you can see that like food is something that he really values yeah, like, yeah. it really means something to him status symbol it makes Absolutely. sense coming from like starving on the streets. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, you can also tell from his Instagram that he loves saying things like, you know how we do. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and like this some boss shit. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so he really Something is sort of melding with DJ Collins. Says. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, when, when FBI agents begin to investigate this guy seriously in 2017, they, when the Fountain Blue Con is like arriving on their radar, uh-huh. Um, they go to all the it like high end Miami restaurants, and everybody seemed to know who Khalid bin Al Saad was, right? Wow, yeah. And I mean, like you know, it was just a big part of his life going out to eat at these expensive places. Shit. And he would order like anything and everything. It was very lavish. Wow. 
Um, but the FBI did find out that whenever something wasn't consumed, uh-huh. it was taken home. So like, no yeah, shit. Half finished bottles of wine, like wow. any food that was on a plate was taken in doggy bags, and they found that odd for someone with this yeah, much who apparently money has and status. Money. Yes, of yeah. course. Wow, that is that is such a tragic little detail, isn't it? And in order to be somebody, you have to have material stuff. Because everything we were exposed to was really the American dream. And food is a huge thing in his life. The thousand dollar plates, the bottles of Dom P. Food was that to my brother was a status that he's made it. So being the prince gave him a sense of security. It gave him a sense of self-worth. Something that we've never had. Yeah. Yeah, that was there his brother Daniel. There you have it. And that really from sums the horse's it up. mouth. I mean, it's so it is so tragic. You imagine this like little like shivering five year old kid fucking sniffing glue on the streets of Bogota, fucking having to you know go through these horrible experiences with older men and protect his brother with his life, and like you you could just see that seed. Growing into the tree of this guy's, like, you know, criminal lifestyle. Absolutely. And even the seed of, um, again, sort of content warning, but even the seed of, like, the idea that having sex with people, like, okay, he was trafficked, but, like, Mm -hmm. I could see how it would work its way into your brain because the lesson is you can eat, you get food, you get some money if you are forced into having sex with someone who is more powerful or has more means than you. Interesting. And that's yeah. sort of the story. Um, could be real, could not be real. We don't know. Yeah, of the blackmail sugar baby situation. Yeah, yeah of him having sexual relations with someone in the Al-Sad family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now let's talk about where his money, if it wasn't the sugar daddy, mm-hmm. of which we cannot confirm nor deny there's just no way to check that if it but if it wasn't that where was it coming from right because he was paying his bills at these restaurants right he had money yeah so let's go back to carl martin williamson Mm -hmm. the money that is now supporting anthony's lifestyle is coming from his company Mm -hmm. martin williamson international yeah with Carl at the helm, 26 investors were eagerly wiring a total of $8 million. Wow. Through various shell corps to Martin Williamson International. Why would they be doing that? Yeah, yeah. I, good question. What were they getting out of this? What they thought they were buying was a friends and family pre-offering of the pending IPO for Aramco. Oh, no. <laughs> Yes, the the actual Saudi oil company. Yeah, um, and they had not that, yet been made public. No, but they thought that they were getting a special friends and family insider trading deal. Yep. Oh. Yep. And he would tell them, you know, you'd see five times your investment, uh-huh. like because the company was valued at you know anywhere between one point two to one point eight trillion Jesus dollars. Christ. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um. He also set up opportunities to invest in other like imaginary businesses. Mm-hmm. There was a platform for trading jet fuel. Oh there was God. a casino in Malta and uh-huh. an Irish pharmaceutical company. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, also, by the way, he would get a lot of these investors to 
bestow lavish gifts upon him <laughs> before being allowed access to this supposed pre-IPO offering, uh -huh. Uh -huh. as was custom, he told them, of like the Saudi royals. You had to give them gifts before the business deal to show respect <laughs> and ensure your allegiance you to the kiss crown. You gotta kiss the ring. I wonder if that's true. I wonder if that's actually true. If you do do business with, with like Saudi royalty, you have to give them a, a fruit basket before you start. I have no idea. And these people obviously had no idea either. Yeah. And they just did it anyway. Right on. Yeah. So remember Jeffrey Sofer? Yes. Okay. Well... While the pre-IPO scam is happening, uh -huh. and he's getting $8 million from that, uh -huh. which is where you see he's getting this cash to buy the Ferrari, to buy the blah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. Louis Vuitton. Uh -huh. um, he's also doing the Fountain Blue scam yeah. with Jeffrey Soffer. So Jeffrey takes him on a private jet, again, don't again, fly don't private, fucking get on that fucking shit. Uh -huh. to Aspen. They go on a trip to Aspen with his family and his close associates, and they go to a fancy restaurant. And the fatal mistake that Tony makes, the error that was just destined to get him. What was it? He eats prosciutto. Dipshit. Oh no. Not only does he eat prosciutto, he devours. Dude, what were you thinking? A plate. What were you prosciutto. thinking? What were you thinking? You spent 30 years pretending to be Saudi royalty. You didn't think for a second, maybe a second, that it would be a little weird for you to be eating pig meat? Well, the thing is, it's almost like a Greek tragedy. It's like the one thing. His fatal flaw. His fatal flaw. His idea that food will save him and food is status. Ugh eventually is his undoing. God damn. He can't not eat the prosciutto. <laughs> so from there, Soffer's so team oh. start to investigate and they get on the phone with federal agents. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So besides that you mistake. You'd think you would do your fucking homework and figure out what's halal and what's haram. Holy shit. Well, there's this other thing that happens that also shows he was not a fan of homework. Okay, so... So he seriously befriended a woman named Perla Lici. Okay. And my cab driver even knew who she was. The one that we were talking about, Aramco, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. this uh -huh. the scam Sultan guy. Yeah. He was like, yeah, Perla Lici. He knew, he knew her. Wow. She's an interior designer of Middle Eastern palaces. Wow, yeah. holy shit, okay. This guy that I was talking to, he's worked in a lot of luxury hotels and yeah, stuff like uh -huh, that too. Uh -huh. So she designs like all the fancy hotels, all the big buildings, mm -hmm. all the offices, all the palaces. Like wow. it's her, that's what, she's that a brand. That cab driver was an interesting dude too. Like he was like a sort of like a international businessman. Yeah, yeah. yeah he he's from the Maldives. Up, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just wound up living in New York and he's like got a side hustle. Yeah, baby. Cool, cool dude. Um, So like in Dubai... All the royal families, like... Houses you know. are designed by Perla Lici? Yes. Wow. So he would put her... And she was living in Miami. Mm -hmm. uh, another very, like, chandelier-driven town. Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. Like, a uh, uh, marble tile. Yeah, chandeliers. Yes. Yes. Um, so he would film her quite often on else. his Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. um, 
you know, putting her right there with other brand names like Cartier and, you know, yeah, yeah. like Perla Lici. Uh-huh. She's basically like a brand that carries that sort of cachet, yeah. you know, that yeah, you yeah, have yeah. like a Perla Lici house. Right. Or you have like a, like a McLaren supercar. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So when he first met her, because he said he wanted her to design his penthouse on mm-hmm. Fisher Island. And, you know, he shows up with the whole entourage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She says, quote, he was wearing furry slippers. He had an entourage with him. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he did was offer his hand to shake my hand. No, no. So my first reaction was, oh, wow. Because culturally speaking, the men and women don't touch hands. Yes. Yeah. Yes, dude. So that was an alarm bell <laughs> oh for her, God. but she eventually, this you guy, know, let it go and she became his friend. She well, yeah, I mean, it went makes to Thanksgivings sense. with him. Honestly, and- if I saw, I'm, I'm not surprised that he got caught for this stuff because yes, you're right. It's not, it's not correct for a Saudi prince to be eating a mountain of cured ham or shaking hands with a woman. Um, but honestly, if I saw him downing prosciutto, I like, and this is how con men get away with stuff. Um, I would probably go like, oh, well, he probably is not allowed to do that like at home. So like he's when he really, gets like, it, he really like has yeah, to go to right, town on it. Right. Yeah. That's what I would think. Probably. Well, what Perlalici thought was, OK, it, it it went along with his accent, too, which yeah. she found didn't have any British in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a very like American sounding accent. Yeah. So maybe so he's she was like, he's very Americanized. He's Americanized. Yeah. yeah. Right, you know, right. he lives full time in the U.S. and. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's very Americanized. Yeah. So that's yeah, how yeah. she chalked it up in her brain. Exactly. And that's how they get away with it. Wow. So on December 14th, 2018. I have to say, though, shame on you, Tony. Shame. Tony, Enrique, Khalid. Shame on you for shame not doing you. your homework, dude. For not doing your homework. and For not learning Arabic. Apparently, he would have fake conversations on the phone like you're shitting me he spoke gibberish arabic yes oh my god yes (laughs) that just shows you how great of a con man he is though like to actually get on the phone and like say you know you're saying gibberish but to do it with a straight face and not fucking and not fucking give up the game wow i mean applause applause break for for khalid for doing that that's fucking that takes balls so on December 14th. And a really teeny tiny brain. And a really teeny tiny brain. So on December 14th, 2018, mm-hmm. eight federal agents storm through the Williamson's North Carolina home. Yep. Guns raised. Quote, my son came downstairs having to hold his arms up, says oh, Denise Williamson, Carl's wife. That's fucked up. They conducted a search of the home and the office and they left six hours later. Mm-hmm. It was then that Denise asked her husband, Carl, if he had known the prince was fake. Carl hung his head in defeat and said, I didn't know. But the feds did have enough to indict Williamson for the Aramco IPO yeah, fraud. This is, yeah, this is definitely fraud. Yeah. Um, so that night, Williamson told Denise, I don't want anything to eat. I'm going to bed. I'll see you in the morning. Then around 7.30 p.m., he hung himself. Oof. He yeah. left a very short suicide note saying he was sorry. Oh, that's fucked up, man. Well, he should have known. I mean, he should have known. Like, I think he knew. I think he knew. That's just my personal. Oh opinion. no! What I mean is, like, he should know that in the United States, if you're if you're like charged with financial crime, you don't go to jail for the rest of your life. They put you in a nice prison where you get to play tennis and stuff. Like, yeah, and you and, get to like learn how to knit. And yeah, exactly. Read. And you go there for like what, like 
five, ten years max. I mean, yeah. if this guy really was dealing with the amount of money that he was dealing with, yeah. he could afford a lawyer that could like put Get that him down on to house nothing. Arrest yeah. Or something. yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have done any of that stuff. That's no. still crime. But like, no, but it fuck. is interesting that you he have killed to himself. Hang yourself, right? man. So in 2018, um, after being arrested eleven times mm-hmm. for prince-related schemes. (laughs) Prince-related schemes. Um, Prior to his 2018 arrest. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced, he, uh, Jose Enrique Moreno, a.k.a. Anthony Gignac, a.k.a. Khalid bin al Saud, Mm -hmm. was sentenced to 18 years in prison for posing as a member of the Saudi royal family, Mm -hmm. culminating in a scheme to defraud investors out of $8 million. Yep. At the Federal Detention Center in Miami, the 48-year-old pled guilty to fraud, wire fraud, Conspiracy to commit fraud, aggravated identity theft, impersonating a diplomat, <laughs> yes. impersonating a foreign official, and traveling on a fake passport. I still can't believe you got the diplomatic license plate on eBay. I know. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to hold myself back from like searching <laughs> for fake diplomatic credentials. Yeah, we don't have a car. <laughs> he says the entire blame of this entire operation is on me, and I accept yeah. that. Yeah. Um, insisting I am not a monster. Honestly, I agree. Yeah, I don't think he's a monster at all. I mean, what did he do? He he scammed a bunch of like wealthy insti- like restaurants and hotels out of money. Um, he scammed a bunch of wealthy people out of you know ten thousand dollars at a time. Uh, yeah. He lived a he lavish scammed lifestyle. American Express. Oh well. Yeah, scammed American Express. Yeah. Um, I, nothing he did really is like horribly wrong the one thing that sticks out to me is convincing that couple in hawaii to personally give him twenty thousand dollars that they didn't get back that's fucked up with this like cockamamie story about like how he's in trouble and fearing for his life yeah yeah, that because that's like two individuals yeah and who knows if they like actually had that laying around in the research it doesn't seem like they did like it really seemed like it was upon agreed upon to be paid back because it was really like right right they was, weren't ultra it was a big wealthy sum to them. it was a big sum yeah, yeah. yeah which that that sticks out in my mind as something that i think is really potentially terrible. monstrous yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. overall I, I overall mean, i agree yeah and like you said i mean who's who's scamming who here in terms of like he's lived like a saudi prince a lot of the time when he wasn't in jail <laughs> okay yeah like he kind of did live his dream. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. And he made it work just on, on the power of his own belief in himself. Yeah. And if he had fucking, like, did a little bit more homework, he probably would have gotten away with it for a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. Not a monster. <laughs> I don't, like, look up to the guy, but holy shit. Also, his haircut. Okay, his haircut is pretty monstrous. Yeah, the bangs. Oh, it's fucked up, dude. What's with the full bang? Listen, yeah, it's he's not looking great. No. But other than that, like I, I'd say he's a Florida man. I mean, he is these definitely crimes a obviously Florida all man. happen. No, most of them happen in Florida. Yeah, and he was just. But it's the the spirit of the Florida. Florida, the Floridian crimes, like the the opulent excess. They're wild. Yeah, they're wild. They're chaotic. Yes. They're they're not careful or like no. yeah, and just like. I don't know. The fact it's just so funny. He kept getting called back to Florida. Like he couldn't. <laughs> he he wasn't doing this in California. He wasn't doing this in like you know Monaco. He was doing this in fucking Miami. Of course, it had because to have been. it's it had to have been. 
it's the only place something like this could have happened. Yep. Yeah. And he'll be released at age 66. Honestly, that's not that old. Not that old, and I don't think he's done. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what you he's think got he's going to live at his means when he gets out of prison. Fuck I don't no. think he even knows how to do he's that. He's probably going to be scamming people while he's in prison. Well, That's shit, it. baby. That was a twisted and sordid tale. I loved it, though. I mean, it's honestly... I I don't know if it's wrong to say, but it's a little inspirational sometimes when I hear about these people. Like, this guy and also Dr. Malachi Love Robinson, when they... You just, like... They craft these realities based solely on their unwillingness to admit that it's not true. You know what I mean? And you can take a little kernel of that and use it in your own life. And these are Florida men with big dreams. Yeah, they're you big, know? they do have big dreams. And it's dreams. like, uh, they went and <laughs> they lived vision. their dream. Yes, like, absolutely. Illegally. Yeah. But, you, you shouldn't know. commit crimes, but you should believe in yourself that much. I agree. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Florida Woman Podcast. I hope that you walked away with this with something valuable, <laughs> just like I did in the story of Khalid bin Saad. Not salute. Not salute. Whoops. And uh, thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review and uh, uh, please leave a uh, a rating, a rating, and, and uh, a subscription. Subscribe if you want to. Come yeah. on, what's the big deal? What's it gonna? You know you want to. And we'll see you in the next episode. Adios. Mm-hmm.